Welcome to Cheers, Dears. I'm S. Faxon, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing authors about what makes their books unique, all while sipping their signature drinks, the beverages they recommend we enjoy while reading their works, and one they enjoyed while writing them. So get comfortable, pour yourself your favorite drink, and get ready to Cheers, Dears. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Cheers, Dears. We're going to be chatting with KC Griffin about being a horror author and about the books that stayed with us. So be sure to stay tuned for our interview right after these updates. So last week, the episode dropped while I was on a three-day vacation in Disneyland. I am so glad I was able to automate the podcast and the YouTube video dropping because there is no way I had it in me to do anything related to writing or producing this podcast over that week. I was all funned out. We averaged around 20,000 steps a day over the course of our vacation, and it was so worth it. We shared so many first experiences together, my boyfriend and I, including building our lightsabers. Okay, if you haven't seen my Facebook, TikTok videos, or Instagrams, I guess I'll let you know the color of the kyber crystal that chose me. It was the blue one. I really thought I was going to go for the green, but the blue called to me, and now I am joining a thousand generations of Jedis before me to bring balance to the galaxy. In the meantime, though, I'll keep writing and reading. I received the edits back from my book, The Blue Dragon Society, and so far I've completed about 30 of the 1,534 suggestions <laughs> my editor has left me. Um, I think I actually quite enjoy that Readsy gives me a number of the comments made um, that my editor made because then I can kind of set goals and see how far I've gone and how far I have to go yet. If you're an author and you're not familiar with Readsy, I highly recommend checking it out. That's Readsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. Now, I'm not an affiliate, definitely wouldn't mind being an affiliate, but it's, it's honestly a really nice program that's free and provides EPUB, uh, PDF, and print-ready documents. So it's really perfect for generating clean um, advanced reader copies or to break down a document by chapters so that programs like Grammarly can run through it without crashing your browser. And that's that's really handy and something I, I like using during the production process of my stories. Now, Reezy does offer paid-for services like editing, marketing, and I think they also do reviews as well. And I honestly haven't checked those out yet, but they do have a plethora of free resources like articles and courses, which are really great for authors, whether you're shooting for the traditional or the independent route. So definitely check that out. And if you have any specific questions about writing, publishing, recommendations like books you'd like me to look into or authors you'd like me to interview or questions you'd like to submit to our authors on this here show, please submit those to me on my website sfaxon.com on the Cheers Dears tab, or if you have a lightsaber and would like to join me in defending the galaxy, drop me a note there too. And with that, let's head on over into the show. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Cheers Tears. We are joined here tonight by Christina Griffin, KC Griffin, and she is going to be telling us all about being a horror author. Christina, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Now, we met through the San Diego Horror Writers Association, and it's it's probably one of the most fun writing groups that I'm a part of. The meetings are so chill. They're so laid back. And yeah, I get asked a lot as I'm diving more and more into writing in this horror world. You know, aren't, aren't horror writers kind of intense? Or aren't they a little like on the creepy or edge side? And I'm like, no, they're hilarious. <laughs> And it's such a great group that we have. And um, so I guess that's a part of one of the myths I'm hoping to delve into during this podcast series. And while we're at it, Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and your writing? Sure. Um, And I'm glad you said that part about horror writers, because I've heard often from other people, too, that uh, horror writers tend to be like the nicest group of writers people meet. And I don't know if it's because they're expecting them to be like, creepy or whatever. Um, so that's that's good to hear you say that. <clears throat> and um, I actually founded the chapter of the San Diego Horror Writers Association when I moved to San Diego, uh, like 2014. And uh, it's just a great group of writers and readers and publishers. Um, so I definitely recommend fellow writers to check out their horror writer association branches if it's of interest to them. Um, so for my writing, I, I do write horror and I write pretty much any speculative genre you can think of, usually with a kind of dark edge to it. So dark fantasy, um, horror sci-fi. I really enjoy cosmic horror. And I also write weird Westerns that have to do with monsters and supernatural elements. Um, So those are just the things I'm most interested in. Uh, And for me, it's really more about the horrors that are unknown and out there, as opposed to kind of real world horrors, which I, you know, we have a lot of that. So I'm not as interested in that aspect. Now, I was able to read your short story, Death's Horse. And it was a Western and it was so much fun. And it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. And by the time I was done, I was like, I need more of this. Because so- <laughs> it was just such an awesome world. I, I absolutely loved it. Thank you. I actually um, just finished a novel recently that features that character and that world. So we'll see if there's an audience for it. <clears throat> Weird Western is interesting because it's such a subgenre. Um, I think a lot of people don't really know about it. Um, so hopefully it gains more popular popularity. For me, the Weird West genre is really appealing because I like to reimagine that Western history that's a little more diverse, a little more equal. Um, you know, I think we all love Westerns to some degree, but I was also really tired of always seeing the female characters as prostitutes or farm girls, Mm. like let them be a gunslinger, a sheriff. Can they please be something else? (laughs) So in these (laughs) stories, I, I like to have pretty good gender balance and, and diversity overall, because that is a part of the history of the wild West. And it's, you know, usually overlooked and not really acknowledged. So I think there's a lot of fertile ground there for storytelling and then you add in some monsters and really make it kind of a fun adventure um so i yeah i've been really into weird western writing lately i've had a few stories published in that genre and hopefully a novel that's awesome and i the first sort of weird western i ever read was daniel kahiaku's 
And I honestly can't even remember the title right now, but it was oh, an extremist. It was an extremist and it was really good. And that was my first intro to, you know, this subgenre. And it was a lot of fun. And I think, like you said, that's something that I think really could catch on because it's so different and it's, it's breaking the mold of Westerns. And, um, I really like that. And I'm definitely attracted to that more seeing more of that genre. Yeah, I have been seeing a growing trend in what's called um, splatter and westerns. So it's the more extreme horror, uh, where it's very violent, very brutal. Uh, usually there's monsters and other speculative elements. I have been seeing a lot more of that uh, grow in popularity. And it kind of makes sense because the Wild West was such a brutal period of bloodshed as well. So right. something about that goes hand in hand. Um, so hopefully <laughs> we'll be seeing more. It's a good pairing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of pairings, you had a midsummer gin dream as your recommended beverage. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Sure, right here. Um, yeah, I love gin. Gin is such an interesting liquor. It's a classic kind of traditional liquor, but um, it's really interesting to remix in new ways. So one really easy way to do that is with the Hendrix special edition brands. And I just love them because they're flavored. They're usually a little floral, a little citrusy, um, very tasty. So this one is the midsummer version. It's got hints of orange and lavender, um, a little bit of lime and some tonic water. I mean, gin drinks are also so easy to do, which right. you know, when you are pressed for time, it's like a nice classy <laughs> drink. <laughs> It has that juge about it. There's something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. And I, I made this tonight and it is really good. And I, I love gin. I didn't used to actually have a long and sorted past with it. And um, not because of anything I did, but because of what a roommate did, but that's a different story. And um, it took me years to, to be able to even see or smell it because it just left such an impact on me. And then my best friend um, made a rosemary um simple syrup uh gin beverage we had a, a my favorite murder themed podcast um uh gathering at my house we were going to go see this them perform live and so we had our my favorite murder uh, rounds of cocktails so each one of us made our own little sipper and it was a competition and she's the one who reintroduced me uh to gin and it was it was so simple it was just the little twists that you can do that are pretty easy that almost everyone has the ingredients for and there are lots of fun yeah it's delicious <laughs> and there's that Alrighty, so now why horror what was it that originally drew you to that in speculative fiction yeah i think um as a kid, I really loved YA horror. So um, I don't know if you remember, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And oh, yes. <laughs> yes, right. So that was like my favorite show. Um, the Goosebumps books, I love those. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of kids enjoy YA horror, but I was very like anxious as a kid, very shy. Mm -hmm. So something about horror was cathartic. You know, you could kind of live out these fears um, and survive. So I think that was part of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, our generation grew up with some really intense horror shows just on Nickelodeon. And I, you know, looking back at those, I'm like, oh my goodness, those were actually really intense. But it it really did help us to confront those fears and realize, you know, it's just a clown. It's it's just 
you know, whatever it was, even though it most usually wasn't, there was something deeper, darker to it. But I loved how you said that, that it, it made you kind of confront your fears and realize I'm going to be okay. It's going to be good. And, um, as writers, that's something we can control with our characters. <laughs> and, you know, I always loved how, a lot of horror stories aren't just slasher. They're not just, you know, gore for the sake of gore. Of course, that's a genre and that's all well and good. But so oftentimes there's some sort of moral or there's some sort of lesson and they kind of harken back to the folk stories of old of don't go into the woods because. And and that's something I really liked about the the Arlsteins, about the Goosebumps and um, the Are You Afraid of the Dark especially did a really great job of that and kind of instilling in us some like, good lessons <laughs> so. right. well and I like that um a lot of times they showed you there was a way to defeat the evil you know you might have to get creative or rely on your friends or do whatever but right. in most cases you could figure out a way to deal with it um though I do also love the ones where the ending is just bleak like Twilight Zone mm. you know it's just, yes. there's no way out <laughs> it's kind of you're doomed this cosmic horror that is uh very interesting the Twilight, the original, I haven't seen the new ones yet, but the original ones were so good. And um, in my conversation with Bob Evans, one of the things that we talked about was how a really good story, and we were saying horror, but I think of any, are the ones that stay with you, that that make you keep thinking about them throughout the day. And I think that the Twilight Zones mastered that quite well. Sure. Yeah, I think they've also mastered like the short story uh, you know what I mean? Each is an yeah. episode. It's very complete. There's a character journey. Um, there's a twist that's really good usually. So that to me is like the model of short stories and cosmic horror. Uh, that's what I strive to. And you're a very good short story writer. And for me, that's, that's a hard mountain because I, I have not mastered short stories just yet <laughs> and I'm trying to, but it's, it's such a, it's a moment in time that we we are seeing into this character's life. And I'm used to writing, you know, epic fantasies that go on and on forever. Um, but, you know, you do such a great job with just giving us that little window. And you wrote one maternal bond, I believe it was. That is going to be a story that stays with me. And it made me think of the yellow wallpaper from the, the late 1800s, I believe it was, and how it's this woman, uh, listeners, who has just given birth and she's got this infant with her and her husband just left for a, a long trip and she's alone with this baby by herself and what follows. And oh my goodness, um, that one's going to stay with me. <laughs> You know, that was the only one I've written that does not have a cosmic aspect to it. Um, and that one I wrote actually right after I had my, she's a toddler now, my um, child. And, you know, you're up all night and it's, uh, my husband was here. It was all fine. I wasn't going through what she was going through, but you're very sleep deprived uh, and it puts your mind in a weird place. So I was just up one night, middle of the night, feeding her, and I could hear the coyotes outside of our window here in San Diego, and it just sort of clicked into place, that, that um, seed for the story. And, you know, it's also a little bit of a feminist aspect, too. People don't realize how difficult it is without support, and 
just how intense it is to have a child, um, you know, when you're kind of alone, isolated, you might not be near family, you might not have any kind of support. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure to do it right and to be the best mom. And, you know, I think all moms feel that we all have to deal with it in different ways. <clears throat> so it was kind of all of those themes, uh, I think, that came out in that story. Very much so. And, you know, in, in this day and age where everything is on Instagram, on TikTok, you know, there's this glamour element that we're also expected to have all the time. And um, I there was one conversation her main character had with herself which was something to the effect of she didn't want to go for a walk around the block because she didn't have time to put herself together and you know that 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 scene was just so true to our times right now you know we don't even want to take out the trash (laughs) you know even though we're isolated in our homes it's still something that's a part of the pressures on us on in day-to-day life and so, yeah, that was that was definitely one of those stories that's going to stick with me and definitely good read listeners if you're looking for something that that's got a little depth to it. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. When did you first realize that you wanted to be a writer? So as a kid, I think I was very fortunate to have really good English teachers throughout my life. Um, And I was in public school for all of my education and I had excellent support from teachers on creative writing. And I would say it probably started when I was eight or whatever age you first start to write like on a page. Um, We had an assignment to write a one page story and I got really into it. I wrote a ton of them and the teacher would read everybody's out loud. and the only one I remember writing was about a little girl who shrunk down to ride a paper plane, paper airplane around. And um, the teacher would read these aloud and I had ended all of my stories the same way, which is, it was all a dream. Um, and it got to a point where the class recognized my stories and they would chime in at the end with that line. And uh, it was kind of like a funny moment, but um, I think it was the first time I realized that <clears throat> I like to write, I like to write a lot. And that wasn't necessarily everybody else's experience. Um, And in middle school, I had like dozens of notebooks. I wrote Mm -hmm. fan fiction before we called it fan fiction, uh, X-Files, X-Men, Frankenstein. And I did these collaborative stories too, where I would write some pieces and like pass the notebook to a friend. Uh, So instead of notes, passing like stories. And, um, you know, sometimes the teachers caught me and they were just always really supportive when they realized what I was doing, which I think was really nice and helpful. Um, I will say that at some point during elementary school, we were learning about careers and it was conveyed that to write and publish a book took, you know, about a year. And I was horrified. I was like, oh, that is so long. Like, I never want to do that as a job, not knowing that it's actually really good if you could write and publish in a year. Uh, That's great. Yes. (laughs) Little did I know. Uh, Yeah, so I think for a long time, I've known that I've enjoyed writing. I didn't really think of it as a career until a little later. I always pursued science and um, sort of that area. And then when I finally did settle into my career of science communications, then I really started to work on my creative writing side of things. So that's been good. How wonderful that your, your, your adults in your life recognized that 
this is something to nurture and to encourage. And, you know, it, it's so beautiful to hear that your dream as a child, your passion as a child has now carried on into your adulthood and that you've continued that and you're pursuing it still. And yeah, I can't, to any of our younger listeners out there, you know, hold on to those dreams and, and fight for them because they're worth it. Totally. Yeah. And teachers are invaluable when you have a good teacher, share it with them. You know, they want to support you. And it was just, I was so lucky. I still remember like all of my English teachers because they all made an impression on me one way or another. Uh, and yeah. I just so deeply appreciate that. I also, I know a lot of mine listen to this podcast <laughs> and I, I echo that 10 times because I also had such incredibly supportive English teachers. My, my whole way through starting from right about the same time you did around third grade all the way through um, high school. And yeah, they really do make differences in their students' lives. So to all those amazing teachers out there, thank you for, for supporting your kiddos. I mean, <laughs> you make a difference to all of us. Now, Christina, what is your process for writing your stories, whether they're short stories or your longer works? Are you a pantser? Are you an outliner or somewhere in between? It's really tough with a full-time job and a toddler to find consistent writing time. Um, so my process varies and it's all about fitting in whatever chunks of time I can, depending on what's going on in my life. So if work is going a little slower, I will try to write during my lunch break. Um, you know, if my toddler needs more attention, then I'm not going to be able to write in the evenings. Uh, usually weekends, I try to catch up, but I would say there were kind of two things that changed for my writing process once I became a mom. Um, the first one, weirdly enough, is that I started to prioritize writing much more because my time became so much more valuable. Um, and I really had to make a choice to prioritize writing in addition to family and work uh, and be more mindful about it. So I actually started being more productive after becoming a mom, which is I would not have expected. Um, <laughs> odd, right? Um, the second thing is that I switched to short stories as opposed to struggling with some of these longer novels I had been working on for years. I thought to myself, let me just try to master the art of the short story, you know, not just for time, but also because you know, my attention is so split up that it's hard to keep the whole idea of a novel in mind versus a short story I can theoretically finish in, you know, a few days, a week, a month, but I can still have it in my head and be thinking about it and, um, you know, actually complete it. And the completion is a really helpful motivator to continue, right? Because you feel good, you finish a story, you can start, you know, submitting it after you edit it a bit. Um, so I've been very productive with short stories, um, in terms of actual, like process, I would say I've joined a few groups and some of them have these kind of flash fiction writing prompts submitted in a weekend kind of thing. And those are great because they force you to like focus and finish. And, uh, for me, it's always like, I have the beginning, I know where I want to go at the ends, but like that middle part, I'll get a little stuck on. Um, but something with uh, something like a flash fiction contest, you know, you have to finish. Um, so I've been doing a lot of those and kind of perfecting the art of the micro story. 
Um, and it's very interesting. It's very different than novels. Uh, recently, I've been going back to novels and trying to outline because I, I don't have the luxury of sitting like for a week and just writing it out, which is how I used to do it. Uh, but now I'm finding I need to outline or I'm not going to remember, I'm going to lose track. Uh, but it's evolving. You know, the process always changes. <laughs> I just try to get the writing done. And I think that's that's a key thing there is, you know, if it's not working, adapt. And, you know, if a lot of times people ask me, what's my process? And I, I, I tell them and I tell them that it basically changes from story to story. Um, but that one of the things I like to do is to have a post-it note with basically where I intend to go stuck to the top of my uh, keyboard or my keyboard, my computer. But what's great about a post-it note is if that direction changes, I can crumple it up and, and change. And I think that I like asking this question to a variety of the authors that come on this podcast, because if you're listening and looking for a process that works for you, I hope that you're hearing listeners that all of us have something different and that we, we change from project to project. And we're still trying to find the, the formula, if you will. But I think the formula is being willing to adapt. Right. And also, I feel like being okay with the rough draft, right? I, it's really yes. hard to move past that perfectionist stage. Um, even after writing dozens and dozens of stories, it's still sometimes tough because you want it to be perfect. You want it to match what's in your mind, and it rarely does. And you have to be okay with that. You have to let it go. Um, that, to me, took a long time to learn and accept and uh, still struggle with it, which I think probably a lot of writers do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then realizing too, that no one writes the perfect first draft. There is no such thing as a perfect first draft. <laughs> well, Christina, we've got a couple of listener uh, submitted questions for you. We have Ronnie from my newsletter wants to know uh, what novel that you read as required reading during high school left the most impression on you and what was the takeaway from it? Ooh, that's a really good question. There are so many novels I read <clears throat> as a kid that I still have the originals, still read them. Um, and there's so many good ones. <laughs> Ooh, I know I'm going through a few in my mind. I'm like, I don't know that I could pick. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I would say well, there's a few that come top of mind. Uh, 1984, I think, is uh, a lot of people's first introductions to dystopias and just mm. thinking about society. Um, so that definitely stayed with me. Um, there's a book called Nar Narcissus and Goldman, and it's by Herman Hess. And it's not really a traditionally taught book or author. He's a German author, I believe. And um it was a really interesting fictional piece about the conflict between kind of the lo logical side of you and the creative side of you. And uh, these were embodied in two characters and they were friends, they had conflicts. Um, and I think that book stayed with me because it was the first sort of philosophical book I read, but also really portrayed the um, idea that you have these different sides of you and that uh, you have to find a middle ground or basically you self-destruct, right? So one character is just so creative and so out there. The other one's so logical and so reserved that they really 
by the end of the book, they're not able to function. Um, so my takeaway was that you kind of need a good balance of both. And that's sort of where I found myself in terms of, um, you know, I do science communications, I do creative writing. So trying to enjoy all those aspects of, you know, our mental capacities to be creative, to be logical. Um, so that one left a, a deep impression on me. So the third book that left an impression on me as a kid was Ethan Frome by Edith Warden. It takes place in Massachusetts in the early 1900s. And it's sort of this, um, sort of a love story, but it basically ends with this really tragic moment that I was horrified by as a, as a kid. And the, the writing was really beautiful and the mood was set so well and I wasn't expecting it. And I think it like conveyed really strongly to me the uh, importance of an ending and also an ending that you don't expect, but that makes sense. Uh, and I just reread that one recently and it's very intense and just really well done. So I recommend it. It's incredible how books can stay with us for so long. I mean, I, if I were to try to answer that, I would say The Awakening by Kate Chopin, um, uh, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley. Uh, that one, I, I've reread it so many times. And same goes for probably Tale of Two Cities. Those were probably the big three that I, I think about often. And even in um, Animal Court, I try to do an homage to Charles Dickens in one of the scenes because it just, it's, I haven't read it in probably 10 years, but I still remember it all so vividly. And it's, they're, they're just such beautiful stories. So yeah, I'll definitely add those to my TBR. Yeah, it's nice when they hold up too, when you reread them as an adult and it's like, okay, that was actually a good book. Like it, it was actually worth reading. My teenage self was right. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from stronger together underscore MD from TikTok. And she'd like to know when you're reading peer reviewed or peer books, do you prefer digital or an old fashioned book in hand and why? So I always do paper books. I have stacks of them all over. I can show you what I'm reading now. Um, <laughs> the only good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. I mean, I just had paperbacks all over the place. Tidepool by Nicole Wilson. Uh, they're everywhere. But why? Um, I think because I'm in front of screens like all the time for work and writing, it forces me to disconnect from everything and just focus on the book. Uh, I've had an e-reader and I love the idea of them that you can have tons of books with you. Um, but I guess I'm trying to move away from having so many options, right? Just give me the one paperback yeah. and I'll focus on that. Uh, it kind of backfires because I'm usually in the middle of like 10 books and then I lose them and I can't find them in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so an e-reader would help, but no, I just love the paper, paperbacks. There's something about the feel of them too, right? Yeah, everything. <laughs> Well, you know, thank you so much for, for joining me here this evening. Would you like to tell the people what's, what's next and where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. So I have a few pieces coming up. Um, I have my first horror poem published in a very long time. Uh, that's coming up in the HWA Poetry Showcase, Volume 8. And I believe it's coming out sometime in the fall. Um, 
And I have another piece that's ecological horror. Um, so sort of science fiction horror coming out in an anthology uh, later this year. And that's from Dreadstone Press. And all of the information is on my website, which um, is www.kcgriffint.com. And that's where you can find me. Well, great. Thank you so much again. And thank you everyone for listening, for subscribing. Remember to like this video, share it with your friends and to check out the comments below where I will have the links to Christina's website. Once again, Christina, thank you so much and cheers. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> if you want to learn any more about me, feel free to check out my website, sfaxon.com and sign up for my newsletter so you can be in the know of all of my creative projects. Thank you all again so much for your support, for listening, for following, and until next week, cheers, dears.